Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, Andrea here. I'm so excited because I have such a great guest on the show for you today. And I always say, I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, but I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're listening because today is a real treat for you. We have the author of The Compassionate Antidote, A Path to Change for You and Your Child Struggling with Substance Use. So now, of course, what we talk about, if you are listening, go, wait a second, it's my husband, it's not my child, um, this still is going to be a great episode for you because we're going to talk all about compassion and how it can help us in so, so many ways. And I'm so happy to welcome Kathy Tahaba on the show. I hope I said your name properly. I know that's good. That's it's a, it's a mouthful for sure. (laughs) Thank you, Andrea, for having me. So tell me all about what inspired you to write this book. Sure. Uh, Well, I am a parent who has gone through substance use with my children. And as you mentioned, uh, the the approach that I like is, is the craft approach, but it's for anyone. It's for spouses, parents, anyone who's concerned about a loved one with substance use. So I just know at the beginning for me, I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. I, you know, felt a lot of fear and pain and confusion and did not really know where to turn. And then there's also the stigma and shame that comes into it too. And you're embarrassed to talk to your friends or you're embarrassed to reach out to people. So the idea for the book was uh, that I really wanted to make the path a little easier for families to just give them some direction, some tips you know, a light with, you know, on the path to some better ideas. And I thought that would be a helpful way to, uh, you know, that was really what motivated me to want to write the book. And the other part of it too, is I had been trained in the craft, which is community reinforcement and family training approach. And I loved the approach. It had made so much sense to me. And what I wanted to do as I was working this approach for many years, is that it'd be fun to write a book from a parent's point of view. I mean, why does a parent like this approach, the books that have been out there were the, for, from the psychologists, which are amazing and they're excellent. And I highly recommend all of them. But I thought just as a supplement, it'd be nice to just say, why does a parent like this approach? What is it you know, about it that I like? So that's why I was motivated to write the book. Oh, yay. <laughs> and so, and you personally, I, I, you know, you, I know you have struggled through it as through your own experience. So I love that it's coming from the perspective of experience as well as, you know, education and training. And um, I really, I really, I'm excited to read your book. I have not read it yet. Um, I know there's some nuggets in there. Obviously for me, I was, um, it was a spouse um, that I was in love with um, that struggled with addiction. And so, but I'm sure there's lots of nuggets in there that can really help now. 
So, okay, so I really love that you brought up the fact that you wrote this book to make the path for others easier because let's go into the muck of loving someone with an addiction just for a little bit because you know what? The realities of this is very challenging. Um, it can feel devastating. And you did bring up some of the emotions like about and some stigma of shame and guilt and things that come up. Can we go into that? Like, why is it so hard, um, you know, to love someone with an addiction? Great question. Um, and it's so different from other, you know, if you have a cancer or diabetes or one of the, another disease like that, it's, you know, you can feel some, the compassion just flows, you know, it's so much easier. But I think with addiction, you get this behavior that is very difficult. Uh, you know, it comes out in very negative ways. And so it, it and it imposes many times on the family. So the you know, if you're a, if a parent of a child, you're feeling, you know, a lot of stress and worry about the child's safety and about the welfare and all of that. And if you're a spouse, the same thing, it's, you're depending on the spouse for their support and their, you know, equal contribution to the family. And then you're finding that they're letting you down in some way. And so it's very difficult. And, and I think on top of that too, with the stigma, you're not going to get the support. Like parents say, you know, uh, like I, I know a mom who had cancer and said, you know, I'd get the casseroles, I'd get everyone bringing me things to the door and helping me. And then when my child was an addiction, you know, it's, it's crickets, you know, you, you don't get anything and people don't want to talk about it. And I mean, I know even in communities, it's hard, it's a hard topic to bring up. People really don't want to talk about it. So when you're getting into try to, to love your child or to love your spouse, you know, the first reaction often is, especially I'm going to go from parents point of view, but again, this can go for either way. But the first reaction usually is uh, you're angry or you're upset. You're trying to make for a parent, you're trying to discipline your child out of this. Uh, you might repeat the same information over and over. You're just trying to fix the problem. And I think with no matter who the family member is, you know, the, the family, the other person that's being affected wants the problem to be fixed as soon as possible. And it, it just makes for a difficult situation. So it causes stress for everybody and you're realizing how uncomfortable you are. And so you want to be out of this uncomfortable situation and getting into a situation where, you know, you're kind of back in balance and things are going well and you're not, you know, it's a safety issue too. I mean, we're losing a lot of people. We don't have to be doing that as much. I don't feel, but that's happening. And you worry, you know, is it, you know, am I going to get the phone call, you know? And so this whole stress, comes up over and over and over again when you've got an addiction problem. And, and I think to the negative behavior, you, know, you can often get into, you know, I, I know of kids that are, you know, stealing the parents jewelry or money or, you know, going into grandma's medicine cabinet and taking her prescriptions. And, the, you know, the behavior is really difficult to deal with. And especially at the beginning too, especially when the parents first find out about it in their, when the kids are teens, you know, usually it's not always, but when they're teens, um, you know, you, you're just trying to figure out what to do and wrap your head around it. So the idea of loving your child, I think coming from that place of loving first, and I think that helps when you have compassion and that what, what can lead you to compassion is really understanding what the problem is, taking time to understand what's going on for your child and what led them to this place or your spouse, you know, what was their, what's the cause, what problem are they solving? And I think when we understand more of that concept it's easier to love your child or love your spouse who's dealing with this when you have a real understanding of why 
they, you know, why they've gone down this road and what problem are they trying to solve? And for many, you know, it, it, it's the addiction, the substances, whether it's alcohol or drugs, it does solve a problem for so many at the beginning. I mean, they, at the beginning, it's like, this is a great way to solve this problem. But then we know that there's no happy ending. I mean, you cannot sustain abusing drugs or alcohol and have a good outcome and it's not healthy for anyone. So yeah, I think taking steps to love our, our family members who are struggling with substance use is really an important part of this. And it will get you, I think the other part too, is when you do love your family member, your chances, I feel, are going to be greater that they're going to listen to you and be open to having conversations about recovery and taking steps to move forward. Oh my gosh. So many amazing nuggets there. Okay. So I, I love that you brought up the fact that, you know, that um, addiction is a disease and then, um, you know, and so a lot of people are listening. Yeah, but you know what, you know, my, my spouse who has diabetes isn't in my wallet, stealing my money, isn't staying up all night and like, you know, cheating on me and like, you know, this and that in my, you know, my, so there's this whole debate about um how addiction is a disease um and that you know that that but it's so messy right because the behaviors that come along with it and come along with addiction um it makes it and really disrupts the whole family and so um I, although i know like like, like it's, right now we're going to be talking about compassion but a lot of the times you're like you know what how can i love this person how mm -hmm. can i be compassionate for this person when you know they're lying to me when they're stealing from me when they're manipulating me and gaslighting me and like, you know, completely, you know, blaming everything on me. How, how can I sit here? And like, so when is it that, you know, it's a disease and we be compassionate, but also when do we recognize that, you know, this is abuse, like this is, mm -hmm. this no longer is okay. Like regardless of addiction or diabetes or any disease that someone's dealing with, when is it that the behavior of that person, um, you know, when are they held accountable for it? Or when is it that we, the person around the addiction um, says that this is enough or that this, like, you know, and I'm speaking probably like a lot of people are thinking that as they're listening, it's like, I have compassion fatigue here. <laughs> so I, I know I opened a whole can of worms there. So let's just, let's first look at this idea about um, addiction as a disease. Well, I will say right up, up the front, I know there's a debate about addiction. It's a disease or is it, you know, something else? And there's been a lot of debate. And I'm just going to say, but I am probably not the person to go in and say, I, you know, the science says it's this or that. I'm not going to, you know, and, and I think it, it's helpful to, I think you can look at it any way you want to. We have different points of view about it. Um, so I think what I look at is whatever, I don't like to get into the debate about it with people just because, you know, I feel like that's really for the medical doctors and that kind of thing. But I think what you want to do is just see what you can do so that your life, you're managing your life well, your child or your spouse is managing their life well. And how can you help your, your loved one move forward in a positive way? And I would start with that. And, and just not worry as much about it. I mean, you know, there's literature on both sides on it's a disease or it's not a disease. And I know some groups believe it is and other groups not so much. And so, you know, it's, it's tricky. And I, and honestly, I wish it was, I won't say honestly, I wish it was more clear cut with that. I wish everyone was kind of on the same page because I do think it, it leads to some confusion, but 
I think it's not the main point. The main point is how can we live a better life? How can we be healthy and live a better life? And keep ourselves safe and everything. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sure. I know the d disease model of addiction is the fact that the brain does change mm -hmm. and that um, there are many things that, you know, the, the physiology changes and everything and that it, the use, substance use does change the brain. Sure. And so um, understanding, I love that coming from a place of compassion is understanding that like, coming from a place to understand what's going on for them. And then I remember me, I was like, you know, Googling everything, right? Like, mm -hmm. how does someone act when they're addicted to this you know how does you know and then what's happening in their brain like so I could better understand right Google became my best friend mm -hmm. and so I think that is I love that you brought that up to becoming really educated and understand what might be going on for that person so that we can understand and I remember getting to a place too where I, I said to myself you know what this is like I stepped away from the anger, away from the frustration of being in the muck of loving someone with an addiction. I remember thinking, it's like, it, it, I wonder what it's like to have an addiction. Like, I wonder what it's like to have a problem that I need to have a substance or I need this in order to feel good. And so going from that lens made me more understand what possibly is going on. And um, so I kind of, I created a little bit of distance between myself and the behavior and how I was being treated. And mm. I know that helped me tremendously. Do you have any, any suggestions around that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so what I like, you know, uh, I, I think with this most more compassionate approach, what I like is that it, they really say, you know your loved one best, use your instincts. Um, there's no exact science. Everyone's different. But again, there are guidelines. And uh, to your point, it is important to be compassionate. But at the same time, you don't want to be constantly feeling like you are being abused or, you know, or you're, you know, your life's in chaos all the time. And so it's important to, to set clear boundaries and to also the other piece that I like a lot is allowing for natural consequences. So being compassionate, supporting your, your loved one, but also when the negative uh, situations come up, you are letting them happen. You're not stepping in and solving their problem and you know, creating a situation where they don't feel like they have to change because your loved one's going to come in and, and help them get out of this sticky situation. So that's one piece that I think uh, is a way to step away a little bit. And then the other one is setting boundaries. I think for a loved one, whether it's a spouse or a parent, being really clear with your boundaries. So what I like is that Again, we're not going to say, you know, or personally, I'm not going to say to a parent, you know, you have to do this. This is the rule and this is the rule you have to do. I say to parents, what makes sense for you? What can help you in this situation? But the real key on setting boundaries, and I think in any situation, a way to detach is to be clear with yourself first. What am I really going to follow through with? It's, it's the idea of, say, you know, we've heard the same before. Say what you mean and mean what you say and to follow through. So if you do set boundaries, be really clear. This is, you know, this is my line here. This is what I'm going to, you know, uh, where I'm setting up my boundary and I'm not, and I'm not backing down. And so you don't want to start with something huge. You want to start small, start with something small that, you know, for sure feels fair, uh, feels safe for everybody that, you know, for hundred percent, you can follow through with. I think the key and one of the problems that comes up so often is that uh, family members will say, 
something and then in the they might first of all say in the heat of the moment when they're emotional which is always better to set boundaries ahead of time like think through ahead of time how you want to set this up when you realize you have a problem so that you can be clear with yourself and be doing it and not when you're emotional and upset and then you know to just to be follow through and again just just tell let your loved one know ahead of time this is my new boundary especially if you're changing things up this is my new boundary and and what we know is that a lot of times with this, the person who's got the substance use uh, will really try to wear you down. You know, they'll try to ask, they'll repeat the same question. I hear this all the time. They're asking me the same question over and over and over again, or, uh, you know, they keep, you know, asking for this or asking for that. And so, and they, they don't believe at the beginning, especially if you're trying to change your behavior up a little bit, they don't believe you're serious. So I think it's important to to be clear with yourself and then to be clear with your loved one and then to, to follow through. And I think that way you can set some, you know, so you're not living in a, a world that's really chaotic and painful because that's not fair. And there are also as many, you know, sometimes young children, other innocent victims, and you don't want them, their lives to be in turmoil. I love that. And I always see boundaries as almost like a fence. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, you're deciding what you're allowing in your backyard, but also mm -hmm. what you're allowing out. And uh, those are to protect you and not necessarily to govern someone else's behaviors. So I love that you brought up boundaries and also stepping away and, and that really that allowing for natural consequences. It's like, you know, when my, when I was in the muck, um, my addicted loved one lost his license and he totaled his truck and um, the natural consequences is, you know, is everything that went along with that. Right. And so that's extreme, but at the same time as like he lost his job initially and because he needed to have a license to have his job, this was one of the times back and I stepped in, I was paying for his truck. I was like helping him get to work, other work at times. And like, you know, like all these things and picking up all the slack. And it's amazing how I didn't realize at the time that I was dealing with addiction, but um, that was enabling and I didn't even know it. And so it's amazing how we as parents or caregivers or like spouses, um, we, we do what we feel is right when we love someone, right? It's almost like when you love someone with an addiction, all these rules go out the window. It's like what you normally would do for someone you love, like picking up the pieces and supporting and helping them no longer really apply, or it's, it's a conflict. It suddenly enables them or it allows, it doesn't allow for the natural consequences of their, their, their actions. So can you, I would love to speak to that a little bit, because it seems like, you know, it makes your head want to blow up. It's like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, how do I step away a little bit um, and then, and create these boundaries? Sure. Um, so one of the messages that I think a lot of families get at the beginning, let me just kind of back up a little bit, is that idea of love, let going and detaching or letting your child hit rock bottom and that kind of thing. And so that's one that we're, yeah, I think myself and others are concerned about because we have, again, lost so many people. When people go, when are they are allowed to hit rock bottom, sometimes that rock bottom can be very, you know, a lot of negative consequences. So you want to avoid that as, as much as you can. But, you know, again, it depends on, you know, every situation is different. So sometimes you might have to, if you feel like you've been doing some, you know, trying to help for years and years and years and it's still not working, sometimes you do need to step away and that's okay too. But I think for the most part with consequences, like an example of, of what you said with the truck or a parent, this happens a lot with parents, you know, the kids lose their driver's license or they, you know, maybe they bought their child a car and then the car's totaled or, you know, those kinds of things. I think it's really important to say, okay, well, 
put the problem back in their lap and not feel like, okay, now I'm going to be in the business because then parents get so, or loved ones too, and maybe you did too, get so resentful about having to drive them around. And all of a sudden you're the one, you're working harder than your, their person is who's got the problem because you're the one driving them around or taking them here or there or doing whatever they need. So I figure out, set up for yourself how you want to handle this. And I think sometimes it's good to try to think about it ahead of time, but it's hard when you first are starting this, you don't really know what's going to happen. So I know for some parents, uh, for example, with, let's just use the car example, they they might say, okay, I will drive you, but then you have to do some, I, I love this idea, then you have to do something for me. So I'm going to, you know, it's a negotiation. If you want to ride somewhere, then you're going to need to do a chore for me. So they don't feel like, this burden is always put on them. But the other way to do that is just to say, you yeah, know, gee, I'm sorry you lost your, your car. Uh, here's the bus schedule or look up the bus schedule. Um, you know, bikes can help sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of people in sobriety, right, who are taking, I mean, I know my daughter, she was taking the bus or, you know, or sometimes in her sober living, people would, you know, that was a nice thing. They would kind of help drive each other around. But but it wasn't then put on me, you know, that all of a sudden I've got to be the taxi driver for somebody. But I think that's a good rule for any situation. You want to look at making sure you're not the one solving the problem, but your spouse is and letting them figure out. I like the idea of two of, of working with them and sort of brainstorming. Hey, we have this problem. Now let's brainstorm all the options and then going through and saying, okay, these are the ones I'll support. Uh, and then we'll, we're going to go from there. And just keeping that in mind that, you know, it's, uh, it's their issue. But again, I want to say it gets tricky too, when it's a spouse or especially maybe say, and, and you're relying on that money for your income, you know, you, your spouse is going to work and if they can't get to work, then all of a sudden you're not going to have income from the job. So that's just something to keep in mind too. It, it's, you've got to figure out a way that you can make them accountable, but that maybe they can get to work. Uh, and I think with parents and kids, they get, you know, really worried that their child, oh, you know, they're going to lose their job or they're not going to make it to school. And I think when we take on all of that so much, and then our kids just feel like, uh, you know, mom and dad are going to solve it or same with spouses, you know, my wife's going to solve it. My husband's going to solve the problem. Then you don't own it any, you know, you're just letting them solve it. So looking at how you can help, but not, but letting them take responsibility. Okay. I think you said the word, Kathy. Perfect. It was tricky. (laughs) (laughs) Everything (laughs) about loving someone with an addiction is tricky. And okay. So the general uh, definition of the word compassion is to almost to suffer together. And so it's kind of like, um, it's that feeling that comes up when another person is suffering that you want, you feel motivated to relieve or to ease that suffering. So you can, it makes sense that as we love someone with addiction, it makes sense. We are a compassionate person that we move in and that we want to help ease that suffering. We want to help them and we want to relieve that suffering. So what I'm hearing you say is that it's compassion, but with boundaries, it's compassion, but with, um, um, creating kind of like working with them. So they feel the love, they feel your support, but at the same time, you're letting them solve their own problems you're not doing it for them is that kind of what what you're saying yes I think that's exactly what I'm saying you know you want to be loving and understanding and you don't want to have a big emotional outburst all the time but at the same time you want to be clear you know this is and try to try to keep the 
try to keep your own emotions in check as much as you can. And yeah, there's times when you can't, but um, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. And I think when you, and I think for many of us, it was not, that wasn't this first thing, especially that I would have thought of. I wouldn't have thought of, you know, oh, I need to, you know, be more compassionate about this. It was more like, how can I fix this problem? This is really stressful. I need to get this figured out. You know, that's kind of where I went. And I think that's where a lot of parents a go lot to. Of, yes, yeah. I know. And, I would have, mm-hmm. you know, everything to help boost their immune system. Yes. Like, you know, <laughs> citronella and like rubbing like eucalyptus on his chest for his quote unquote chronic sinus infection <laughs> that I thought we were dealing with, you know, um, all these things to support him. We try to fix, we do our best, right? Like, why aren't you sleeping? I didn't realize it was drugs, but I'm here helping him with melatonin and all these supplements <laughs> and booking massages for him. I was so amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And they love, they love all the help, right? <laughs> of course. Yes. But then we become a doormat. So the mm-hmm. reality is, is that, so what I'm hearing you say is that you know, keeping, keeping it in check when you know what you're dealing with too, when you know you're dealing with addiction um, or substance use disorder, then you can look at it in a little bit of a different way and kind of arm yourself. I love the way you said it, arm yourself, um, create a bit of that distance and that it makes sense. We're human. I always say to all my clients and to all the listeners on the podcast, right? Give yourself permission to be human as well. So mm-hmm. I love that you brought that up is that you might have some emotional responses. You might have frustration and anger and, and it's telling you something, right? Always the emotions are there to communicate. But what I love that you're inviting people to do is to really offer this compassion um, with boundaries and 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 being there as a warm um, warmness and support towards our addicted loved ones. But then you know let them suffer their consequences, you know, let them fall and get themselves back up and and just kind of be there amongst it. Is that Yes, that is right. And I think one of the other key pieces that I think is helpful too is noticing what you're doing, they're doing well. So what we tend to do with addiction is, you know, you see this huge problem and it's, you know, an issue and you're concerned about it. But the other piece of it, which again, I did not think about at the beginning was looking at, okay, even though they have this addiction, are they doing something well? So you know, for a child, maybe, you know, I, I had one mom who, you know, was very concerned about her child's uh, substance use. He was a teenager, but I, so I said, well, what is he doing? Well, and so then she said, well, you know, gosh, he does all his chores. He helps with the kid, you know, the siblings, he does other things well. And so sometimes because we're so upset about the addiction, we don't notice what they are doing well. So I, another key piece too, I think is noticing any positivity you can, because the, when you're in addiction, you don't feel good about yourself, no matter how they present to you. The person using substances does not feel good about themselves. They know deep down this is not healthy. They've got an issue. They've got a problem. And they're scared, too, and they don't know how to stop it or fix it. Um, so they want, you know, I think it's important to help them feel like, yes, even though you have this addiction problem, that's not every part of you. There are some parts of you that are healthy, you do have some, you know, good, you know, uh, good things that you're doing. And so we want to notice that. So you think about like, if you were trying to change something, like you were on a diet, or you were trying to do more exercise, and you think about, okay, what's going to help me more if people are criticizing me all the time, or if people are encouraging me and noticing even the littlest things that you're doing that are helpful or positive. And so for me, it, it makes sense. Okay, I need someone who's going to be an encourager, not someone who's going to always point out everything I'm doing wrong. So that, I think that's another 
key piece. So noticing what they're doing well, but then coupling that with allowing for the consequences. So when the negativity, when the negative things happen, you gently just step out of the way and, and let them, you know, and let them happen for the most part. I mean, you have to keep safety in mind too. And that's an important piece of it, but for the most part, you just, you know, don't step in. And I think it's hard for every anyone, no matter if it's a spouse or parent, it's hard to see your, your loved ones suffer. Yes, I, lo- I, I, I love this idea about catching them being good or mm-hmm. catching the goodness, right? And um, in positive psychology, it's called strength finding or spot strength spotting. And it's like noticing their strengths and really bringing attention to it and, and focusing on that. And that'll help with, you know, positive emotions around them, helps them build and connect to their strengths. Now, if this can be hard, especially if, you know, like two hours later, they were just, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> you know, yelling at you because maybe their, their dopamine levels are super low or something, you know? So, so how do we do that? Let's, let's go. Cause I know the listeners are, I hope I'm speaking some of the, what everyone's sitting there listening, going, I know, but this is so hard. How do we strength spot? How do we offer compassion? How do we do that when, you know, maybe we just got, you know, yelled at or spit on or punched in the face or whatever it is that comes sometimes with loving someone with an addiction. So how do we do that? It's a good question. And I, I agree, it's not easy. And, uh, and I do say just, you know, from some examples, if you do feel like just on a side note, if you feel like there's any safety issues, if you're feeling being physically abused, you really want to take care of that. That's the first thing to take care of. But I, it is true, you know, like say your child comes home, you know, uh, high and he's out till three in the morning and wakes everybody, you know, say he's living with you and wakes everybody up. And then the next day he, you know, does a chore for you that you've asked him to do. It's like you just, you know, you're just so angry. But I think what helps is to step back and say, I need to look at the big picture here. What am I trying to accomplish? Where am I headed? What's the main goal here? And to try to notice that if I do notice a few things here and there that he's doing well. I mean, even I say, try to notice some one thing at least every day and don't be, you know, don't be, you know, just a cheerleader and making things up, but you want to really be authentic and be honest, but it just helps your child realize your, that, that the, he can do things that are, are positive. And also his mind is ambivalent. I mean, there's one part of it that's, wanting to change they know that they should and then there's the other part of them that gets you know sucked back into it maybe it's peer pressure maybe those negative feelings come up if they use alone and then they just want to use again but the job for parents is to try to support and promote that part of their brain that's saying I need to get healthy. I need to do better. And there's a reward for that. If I'm doing something well, I will get rewarded for that. Even if it's words, if it's, um, if they're, you know, say they decide to be sober for a week, you might want to do something more, but just small things like a cup of coffee, make a special dinner for younger, you know, for parenting, it could be a gift card, that kind of thing. But you're trying to support that part of the brain that is telling them that they need to stop doing this, that they need to get on a healthy track. And that's really what the key is. And I think for people that have addiction issues, what we want to remember is if they don't feel like there's any positivity, any positive reward for staying healthy, there's no reason to do that. I mean, they're getting a reward for using their substances. It's rewarding some, it's doing something for them. They're definitely getting a uh, reinforcement from that. It's solving a problem. You know, they're numbing out. They don't have to think about their feelings, whatever it is. 
So we want to try to build up that other side. And, and I agree with you. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's, it's, there's going to be times when you're going to be, uh, say maybe saying things through gritted teeth or whatever, but, but I think it's important. And it's not that you can't bring up the, the behavior too. I think there's important ways to do that as well, but you want to just not feel like you don't want your child or loved one to feel like there's nothing that they can do right, that everything they do is wrong. Mm, yes. And it's so true at times, right? Like we just focus on like the mock when we're in it. And then um, what we might not be realizing is that, you know, we might be the last thing that they're holding on to that makes them feel like they, they want to save themselves. Right. And um, so I love that piece of, it's almost like sitting there in with a kindness and an understanding and just being mindful of the fact that, you know, what is going on and like, this is, they're struggling and um, having that, that sense and that understanding just for, you know, moments and as many moments as we can. Um, but at the same time, obviously keeping ourselves safe, having self-compassion for ourselves and what we're going through as well. And as you know, this podcast is all about taking back your power and focusing on you, having the courage to focus on you and put your life back together so you can be you and stronger. Um, and I think that that comes into what you're talking about as well is it's so important to, you know, fill your own cup, to do things that help you, that help downregulate your nervous system, that make you feel calm and healthy and, you know, do everything so that you can approach um, the addiction that's around you with love, with compassion, with um, this understanding and um, potentially kindness even, right? This, uh, I say potentially because sometimes it's like, what, I'm going to be compassionate to this person that just did what? You know, so, um, so yeah, so I really love, I love your approach and I think that um, it's tough to get there, but is it like a muscle that we practice, we can get better at it and we can, you know, just being aware of it and like, you know, maybe some days we're not compassionate at all and whereas other days it's like, okay, this is the approach that I'm going to take. For sure. I think one of the things that, you know, is important is that parents do practice this or family members, you know, it's not their skills There's certain conversation skills, you know, in the book, I talk about you know, specific conversation skills, and it's not something that you might, you know, you may already be doing some of this. And so that's good because you feel like, okay, this is something that research says it's a good thing. But at the same time, uh, if, you, if you aren't aware of them or it's something that doesn't come naturally to you, it's really good to practice. And I love this, you know, the part that you mentioned about the self-care, because that's a huge part of it. You need to take care of yourself. You need to really uh, help yourself get to that place where you are feeling balanced and, and calm. And, you know, if you're not sleeping, if you're in emotional turmoil all the time, you're not going to be there. So it, and we say too, you know, take care of yourself first, really focus on yourself first and get yourself in a better spot. And then you can see what you can do to help your child. So very important. Uh, there's, there's a lot to this. It's complex. I know there's so many missing parts to it, but, or miss, you know, there's so many parts to it, but the practice piece is important. It's important to, to, and you know, the other thing that you can do too, with some of these conversation skills is practice with love uh, family members that you're not so worried about, you know, just try out a few of the things and see if how they work and what reactions you get. And uh, you can go from there. Oh yeah. I love that you brought up language, right? 
um, so important. And uh, now, of course, part of compassion is empathy and also listening and just being present for people. Is that is that correct? Like, mm-hmm. is that you cover that in your book? I'm sure. Yes. And yes. Uh, so, can you do you have yeah. any suggestions for the listeners there? So sure. I mean, we, you know, you want to be present for your, your, your loved one and your spouse, uh, your child, uh, you want to have compassion for what they're going through to have an understanding of what they're going through. Sometimes what I do too, is say that, you know, or or this has been mentioned that, you know, to share with them uh, similar feelings that you've had, like you may have had similar feelings along the way, and you may not have solved that with drugs or alcohol, but you have felt, you understand how they're feeling. You, you get the feelings. And so that helps them, I think, realize that you're human, whether you're a spouse or a parent, that, you know, you're not just in this role, but you're a human being who's had similar problems as well. And that you can, you know, you can understand and you, you, you know, we just want to help our, our family members as much as we can. It's, it's a really difficult uh, situation and we want to, and we want to be as proactive. I mean, the sooner you can get on it and start moving them into a healthier path, the better. Yes. Okay. So I love that you brought up the common humanity and just connecting to them on a, at a human level. It's, I'm all about that in terms of where, you know, give ourselves permission to be human, but also give those around us permission to be human as well. And um, that really, it's like, it makes you step out of yourself and what's going on for you and kind of looking at them and understanding what might possibly be going on for them or trying to understand or relate in as as best way we can um, is a wonderful way to offer compassion. So I'm curious, um, do you have like one specific part that you just love about your book that you're just like, you really want to share with us? Well, I've always liked the conversation tools. I think those are the most helpful. And I think, you know, one of the parents said, you know, when I changed the conversation, my son started to change. And I mean, I think that's a quote that I just really love because I think it's true. I, I love to say when parents try these, I said, well, what's the reaction? I mean, I was just talking to a parent last night. So what was the reaction? Oh yeah, the response was so much better. And when you have this real negative behavior, you realize you're part of that conversation. So if the parent is the parent or a loved one who's not having a substance use issue can be the one to really step back and say, I can approach this conversation in a different way. I can talk to my child or my loved one in a different way. And the response is going to be different. It's not going to be as negative most of the time. I mean, we can't guarantee it, but it's not going to be as negative. They're going to be more responsive. Uh, You want to engage them in, you know, like when you're asking questions, you want to try to ask open questions so that there's a conversation, not just yes or no. You want to, there's a red and red and green light uh, concept where if they're, the conversation is getting volatile. If it is, you know, getting feeling like it's out of control, you want to just stop it. You don't want to get into a thing where a lot of negative uh, words are being said to each other, or you mentioned too, it could be get starts to get physical. I mean, you want to keep that down. So if it starts to get volatile, you know, or your, your child or loved one starts shutting down, you can just say, you know, we'll talk about this another time. You know, we'll bring this up later. Um, and then the other concept I like too is asking your loved one, can I have a conversation? I think that's something I had never really thought about either. So rather than just coming in and saying, you know, we're talking about X, Y, and Z, just saying, 
can I have a conversation with you and allowing them to say yes or no? Like, is this a good time? And maybe it's not a good time for them. So you could find another time later on. You know, I'm guessing most of the time your loved one's going to say yes. I guess, again, you want to pick a time when you're calm, when they're sober. You don't want to have conversations with your loved one when they're high or, or drunk. That's not going to be helpful. No. But I love this idea of, you know, of asking first because you're going to have immediately more buy-in with the with, with the conversation. And then keeping it short, you know, keeping it to the point, not, you know, getting to, in, not bringing the whole laundry list in, but kind of getting to the point. That's another piece that I like. So basically, I would say the conversation tools I like a lot. I think it, it really changes things. Oh my gosh, so many good nuggets there. And I love the idea of autonomy, giving them autonomy, making them feel like they do have certain control over a situation, whether they want to be in a conversation or not, or save it till later. I love that suggestion. I think it's brilliant. Um, I also love that idea of red light, green light. And I, 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 I forget which book I read, but it was a book all about, and there's the psychology of red being almost like it's a red light and you, and that's where you move into the stress response. You get an amygdala hijack. You're going into the stress response. No longer are you having a logical portion of your brain engaged in the conversation. So I love the way you put it is as soon as that happens, just disengage, disengage. It sounds like shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> it's like, nothing is going to get through anyway. It's not going to go. And I remember I used to practice um, when I was in the muck, um, um, I used to practice, I called it, it's gray stone. It's just where you turn almost into a gray stone and you don't engage yourself. You have mm -hmm. control over your behavior, but you don't necessarily over someone else. So um, disengaging when you get into that, almost that red, it's like, okay, I can see it moving into the red now. And then I love this idea too about green. It's like when you stay in that logical part of the brain, you're listening, they're listening, they're engaged in conversation and, and it's, it's much more effective at that point. So, and then also your suggestion about, you know what, yes, it's literally not, nothing is going to get accomplished if you're talking to them when they're in the red zone or when they are high. Or um, I always found that when my addicted loved one was not high <laughs> and he wanted to be high, that's when he would be in the red zone. So like I'd be walking on eggshells and so would my kids. So um, just, yeah, knowing your timing and, and I'm so thrilled that you have some wonderful tools there in your book as well. So, so I cannot thank you enough for all the nuggets of wisdom that you've shared with us. If you had one more thing to say to our lovely listeners, what would that be? I think I would say, you know, just know that you're not alone and you're not alone with this. There's millions dealing with this issue and that there are resources to help you. You don't have to feel overwhelmed and painful. I mean, those are going to be natural emotions, but that there are resources that can help. And I like the idea that, that these ideas are, have been researched, that people have done some studies on them. So they have been shown to work. So, you know, I invite people to just check them out, see, try them on, see if they, you know, work for you. And again, it's going to be one other last piece is I, I kind of tell people to do a patchwork approach, go through these different programs and pick out what works for you because it's no size fits all. Uh, and you'll find what works for you and listen to yourself. You know, your child best, you know, your loved one best, uh, so yeah, I would, that would be my take. Oh, I love it. I love try it on, see how that works. And I think I was trying everything on. I was like, oh, that didn't work. Okay. Let's try this. So that didn't work. Okay. Let's try this. And then what worked one week didn't work the next week. And then, you know, then your boundaries go at the door and then you try a new one. So just giving yourself compassion and permission to be human. I love that suggestion of just recognizing that there's, there's so many resources out there. And then, you know, when you feel like you've been knocked down again, you know, go listen 
listen to that other podcast or go, you know, grab that book and, and do some reading and, and just really tap back into recharging yourself back up again. So, oh my gosh, Kathy, thank you so much. Now I know everyone's going to want to get a hold of you because you offer so many wonderful services and they're going to want to grab your book. So of course I will put everything into our show notes today so they can get a hold of you. And uh, I cannot thank you enough, Kathy, for imparting your wisdom and sharing and being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andrea, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And, of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs.